Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. This is where I typically would give you the date, the the time. I would give you all of that typical information, but I'm not going to give you the month, the day, the time. I'm not going to give you any of that right now because what I'm about to do is give you, well, how many? I'm going to give you... Four dates. I'm going to give you four dates. So starting with today's date would kind of mess it up because then I'm going to turn around and give you three dates. But I'm going to give you three three dates and then we'll circle back around to today's date and today's time and today's location. We'll do all of that. All right. But are you ready? It was October the 9th, 2022. October the 9th. 2022, I was standing behind the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church located in Ovalo, Texas. I believe it was around 10 a.m. in the morning, I believe, October the 9th, 2022, uh, Ovalo, Texas, standing behind the pulpit, Ovalo, Texas, I believe, I, I believe it was around 10 a.m., October the 9th, 2022, I was standing behind the pulpit, Victory Baptist Church, Ovalo, Texas. And I basically started by telling everyone, hey, I know we've been covering a lot of different things, but we're going to stop all of that and we're going to begin a brand new series. The series we are about to begin may be the most important series I have ever done in all of my years of preaching and teaching and podcasting. That, that's literally how important it was. It was a very important date because on October the 9th, 2022, standing behind the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church in Ovalo, Texas, I started our series on law and gospel. And I still believe to this day, it was one of the most important series I ever started. It was one of the most important series I ever attempted. I really, October the 9th, 2022, I don't, I'm not very good at remembering dates. I had to go look it up and I had to write it down because I'm horrible at remembering dates, horrible at it. I, I just know this much. I may not remember the day, but I do remember when I stood there and I knew when I drove to church that day that this was very important. This may be like if there, I, I, of all of my successes and all of my failures, all of the good things, all of the bad things, all of the mistakes I've made, any, just everything about me, I, I can be just forgotten. I don't really care. I don't even care if people just want to remember all of my mistakes. I just would hope in some way, shape, or form that the series I did on law and gospel would somehow have the ability to transcend who I am, my personality, all of my mistakes, uh, all of my speaking mistakes. I wish it would just somehow that in some ways that I would just be forgotten and just the things I said about law and gospel would be remembered. That's how important. I believe the series was, I I cannot, I cannot even be, I can't overstate it, right? I cannot overstate how important it was. Like, I wish everyone would listen to everything, the ups and downs, the twists and turns, the successful broadcast, the ones that weren't so good, everything in between, because everything I said about law and gospel, I still believe is some of the most important words I have ever stated. The things we covered, 
Because I believe that, that at this point in church history, at this point in the theological condition of the evangelical church, that there needs to be a just screaming from the mountaintop. We need a proper distinction of law and gospel. I cannot stress to you how important October the 9th, 2022 was as I stood behind the pulpit in Victory, at Victory Baptist Church in Ovalo, Texas. Now, I don't think the people sitting there listening to me that morning believed it was that important. I don't, I, I don't believe after all of this time, look, put it this way, as much as I tried to express the importance of it, I can just tell you, I mean, I think I have undeniable proof that most people just didn't care and it, and didn't get it because, but I think that's the problem. People just don't get it. They don't understand how significant it is to properly understand the distinction between law and gospel correctly and how that changes your entire hermeneutic. So I tried my best. I, I did everything I, from a human perspective, I did what I felt I could to stand there on October the 9th, 2022, standing behind the pulpit, Victory Baptist Church located in Ovala, Texas, the middle of nowhere, Texas, an irrelevant little, I mean, I don't even know if you can call it a town, a little irrelevant building that if you drove by, you probably wouldn't even notice it. And if you did notice it, you'd probably laugh and go, what a, what a joke, what a joke. And I understand that, but even though all of that may be insignificant, the words were not. Now, I want to give you another date. That's October the 9th, 2022. I want you to go to September the 20th, 1977. September the 20th, 1977. I know you're, go you're going backwards. I know where you are going to go backwards because on September the 20th, 1977, an episode of a very popular show aired that evening, maybe around 7 p.m. Central Time. I don't know exactly the time, but September the 20th, 1977, an episode of Happy Days aired. And in this episode, Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, right? The guy that's so cool, who wears a leather jacket. Yeah, the cool guy. Well, he jumps a shark on water skis wearing a leather jacket. That becomes known as the Jump the Shark episode of Happy Days, where Arthur Fonzarelli literally jumped a shark on water skis wearing a leather jacket. It was absurd. It was ridiculous. And from that point on, that phrase, jump the shark, has kind of entered into pop culture. If you're watching your favorite series and all of a sudden you watch an episode of your show and you're like, oh, man, what just happened? I think this... Ugh, I think the show just jumped the shark. You're meaning that I think it's over. I think the show just has kind of fallen apart and this is just ridiculous and they've lost the plot. They've lost the narrative and it's, it's kind of over. So when, when, now to be fair, historically speaking, even though Arthur Fonzarelli jumped the shark literally on water skis wearing a, le a leather jacket. To be fair, it went on for a couple of more years, still, I think, being number one in television. But it really was a turning point, at least for me. I remember watching it going, oh, well, that I, I that's just doesn't, Arthur, you know, Fonz is not cool. Like, there was nothing cool about it. It just seemed ridiculous. So that's called jumping the shark. Now, what does that have to do with what I believe to be the most important series that I've ever done? Well, October the 9th, 2022, Victory Baptist Church, I stood behind the pulpit. I introduced a series on law and gospel. September the 20th, 1977, this phrase enters into pop culture. 
Jump the Shark. April 2023. April 2023. Again, I believe it was around 10 a.m. in the morning. I started another message in our series on Long Gospel. It was like it was like part 75, part 76. It was way up there. Maybe, maybe it was up there, 76, 77, 78. It was way up there in number because we had spent hour after hour after hour after hour talking about law and gospel. In fact, many people had posted comments on YouTube and emailed me that it's too repetitive. You just keep saying the same thing over and over. Get to the point. And I'm like, I'm trying to make the point. So I was, I was having some negative comments that was being too repetitive. I mean, you're talking 76, 77, 78, 80 hours of content, probably probably more than that. It was probably close to 90 to 100 hours of trying my best to give you a proper distinction of law and gospel. I mean, I went all in on the series, but on that April 20, the 23rd, I don't know the exact day, but it was April 2023, around 10 a.m., I stood behind that same pulpit where I kicked off the series on October the 9th, 2022, st- standing in front of basically the same people. And I got ready to start teaching it. I was asking review questions and everything went wrong. It's like all of the work all of the hours. It's like nobody remembered anything. <laughs> it's like I had lost the whole like what it, it was the most bizarre thing. It's almost like I had to I, like a part of me wanted to stop and go, wait a minute. Weren't, weren't you all the same people here on October the 9th, 2022? Like, where have you been for like a hundred hours? I, I'm getting emails like you're p- repeating yourself. And like, so I just thought that, you know, the review would be like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, we got this. We got this. And okay. And they're like, all right, let's move on. And it all fell apart. It was a horrible, horrible hour of teaching. It was a horrible two hours of teaching. And I deleted it. In fact, I may, I think maybe the next hour, I just, I, I decided to just, I, basically at that moment, I just decided it's over. The long gospel series has ended. It's over. And that can happen in preaching. It, it's my, I blame myself. It's my own fault. You have to be able to navigate that. You have to be able to kind of read the crowd, know when you have them, when you're losing them. You have to be able to perceive that and see that. And a series that long, I mean, come on, in 2023, a lot of people are not going to be, not going to be down for remembering everything. So not like people are going to be going home and reviewing their notes. Like, you know, you, you just got to know when you've lost the people and I had lost the, I had lost everyone. So that was the end of the series. That was the end of the series, April, 2023. In fact, I did an episode about jumping the shark and it was, it was like, it's over. It's done. Well, here we are tonight, Friday, July the 14th, 2023 at 9.54 p.m. Central Time, not behind the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church, but in this Theology Central studio located here in Abilene, Texas. I'm here in this empty room, and I am here to do my best to, once again, I'm going to we're going to do law and gospel, a redo law and gospel, a restart. We're going to relaunch the law and gospel series, and we're going to utilize a series of radio broadcasts of the Issues ETC radio program. It's also a podcast, Issues ETC, Issues Etc. It's a Lutheran radio program. And of course, if anyone's going to talk about the proper distinction between law and gospel, typically you're going to look to Lutheran theologians because they're the ones who've really 
I think, explained this, promoted it, defended it, um, debated it. I think that they're the ones who have really done a great service to the world of theology, trying to give us a proper distinction between law and gospel. So we're going to utilize segments I think that I think they've done eight parts right now on a proper distinction of law and gospel. Again, issues etc. If you have a podcast app, just type in issues etc. You'll find their podcast. Subscribe to it. Go through the archives. You'll start finding them. Uh, you can you can find two of the episodes right now. If you go to theologycentral.net and you go to the blog section, you'll see the Theology Central playlist from Potterama Potterama. And uh, you can just listen to them right there. I'm going to add all the episodes to that playlist. So if you'll just keep checking that, that'll be easy for you to find. Uh, but you should subscribe to subscribe to the Issues ETC podcast. I don't always agree with everything because, well, they're a Lutheran and obviously they believe in infant baptism. So I obviously disagree. But man, uh, there's a lot of good stuff on that program. And whenever Lutherans are talking about a proper distinction between law and gospel, I think everyone should stop what they are doing and listen. Now, I I love the concept of the proper distinction between law and gospel, but obviously I'm not beholden or bound to follow everything Lutherans say about it. I'm not, right? I mean, I, like that, theology, I, that's one of the things I, I, I hate— the, the world of theology, because you always have to kind of choose a team and then you got to stay true to that team's theology. And I'm like, no, I'm going to pursue theology and pursue truth with or without offense to friend or foe. I don't really care which team gets offended at me. I really don't care. I don't care if the reform, I, I don't care if the reform people get mad at me, the non-reform people, Baptist, I don't care. I'm going to pursue truth. I'm not going, I'm not bound by your team. All right. So you can keep your colors and I'm going to just try to pursue truth. That's what I'm going to try to do. So I think it, I think it's a very important thing to do, do tonight to try to restart this series. We're going to do Law and Gospel Redo, part one, and we're going to be utilizing the Issues ETC radio program, where they've done eight parts right now on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Okay, that's what we're going to do. So are you ready? Now, here's how we're going to do this. The law, the issues ETC program is a radio program. Now, when you subscribe to their podcast, you're getting basically the radio program in podcast form, meaning that they have their typical commercial breaks. So guess what's on the podcast? Their commercial breaks. So either I try to chop this up and edit it and then put it all back together so that we can remove all of that. But I think what we're going to do is uh, is each one of these episodes that we're going to do with kind of law and gospel redo, part one, part two, however many we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're just going to take segments, right? So like when they go from this part to this part and they go to commercial, then they will wrap up and our episode of our podcast. Then then the next episode of our podcast, we'll do the next segment. So it will mean it will be shorter episodes. This one will be a little bit long because I've spent 15 minutes trying to give the context and the history of everything that we've done. But these episodes will be a little shorter because we'll only be reviewing little segments. But we're here to review it, critique it, and and just hopefully benefit greatly from it. And 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 I cannot, I just look, I don't know if you if you have not listened to like the 70 up of 80, 90 hours 
of content we've done on this subject of law and gospel. Please look us up on the Sermons 2.0 app, Theology Central. Look at series. Look at the series, Understanding Law and Gospel. If you have the Church One app, look for our series, Understanding Law and Gospel. And please listen to every single one of them. Download all of them. All right. Someone just said, excited to hear more about law and gospel. Thank you for restarting it. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I, 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 it's almost like a feeling like, man, it, it, can, can I pull this off? Can we, can we get back into this in a, in a good way? And so when I noticed that Issues ETC was doing this, I'm like, they just, it's almost like, here you go. Here's a way to restart it. Here's a way to kind of, kind of do over. And then you can kind of pick back up. I would like to bring some of this back to the, to the church and try to do it there. But man, it, everything just went so, so horribly wrong. And sadly, what is sad is after what, 89, I don't even, again, I have to count up all the hours, all the hours of teaching on law and gospel. Here's what was the most discouraging part. When the series stopped and I just stopped it, I think I received a total, I think, of five emails. I think a total of five emails. It, I, that may be pushing. It may be closer to three or four saying, hey, please don't give, up, don't give up on the series. Keep going. Only three or four. Now, humanly speaking, pragmatically speaking, that says you, 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 you blew it. You, you, you took this beautiful, important theological distinction that really every Christian needs to understand. And you were not able to convey it in a way to convince your audience of its significance. Because if you would have, as soon as it would have stopped, you would have been bombarded with emails saying, no, 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 keep going. But when you're met with a resounding silence, humanly speaking means you should give up. But I can't give up because I'm still convinced that one of the major theological problems of the evangelical church is a complete blurring of the lines of law and gospel, and they are, their hermeneutic destroy they, their hermeneutic clearly demonstrates they don't understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. So when you see that one of the biggest theological problems of your time is a lack of understanding of law and gospel. It doesn't matter if nobody else sees. It doesn't matter if nobody else cares. It doesn't matter if nobody else is listening because all you can do is put forth the, the, the information. And if nobody else cares, nobody else cares. There's nothing you can do about it, right? I mean, we've been studying the book of Jeremiah this summer of 2023. And you know what? Nobody wanted to listen to Jeremiah. Nobody cared. Nobody cared by what he said, but what he said was true. And sometimes you got to say what is true and talk about what the people need, even if they don't want it. Now, it may go down as the most unsuccessful series I have ever done, numerically speaking. It may go down as one of the most unsuccessful series I've ever done as far as emails are concerned and engagement, but I can't, I don't care. I really don't care. I, I would rather just like, you know what? I lose 90% of my audience. That's okay because this series is important. So I'm going to try to, I'm so thankful for Issues ETC picking this up because it was kind of a reminder. It's like a little nudge. Hey, remember when you were working on that series? Remember how you told everyone it was the most important? You caved. You gave up. If it's so important, then why did you quit? If it's so important, why did you give up? I didn't have a good answer. 
So here we are. July the 14th, 2023. It started on October the 9th, 2022. Here we go. Maybe by October the 9th, 2023. I've demonstrated that I didn't give up. And who knows? Maybe there's someone out there who really needs this series. They will hear it. And their whole understanding of theology and scripture and salvation will be radically altered and it will benefit them. And then maybe they will be the person who then can take it, find a way to package it in a way far better than I ever did, and then really bring it to the masses. I mean, that would be, who cares if I get the credit? I just want people to know it. So we will see. But with all of that said, are you ready? This was an episode I think this aired in May, right? And I and I obviously have missed had missed it, but I think it aired in May. This was part one of issues ETC introducing their series on a proper distinction of law and gospel, and we're going to utilize that to redo our series on the proper distinction of law and gospel that we started on October the 9th, twenty twenty two. Even though there's been a delay, even though I jumped the shark in the series. The truth of the series is still just as important. Here we go. No blessing. We're going to begin a series on CFW Walther's Law and Gospel Theses with Pastor Will Whedon. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, the 8th of May. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. After our conversation with Pastor Whedon, Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. Before we talk about his theses, let's talk a little bit about the man himself. Who was C.F.W. Walther? Well, C.F.W. Walther was the leading light in the very early Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, or as it was then known, the German Evangelical Synod of Missouri, Ohio, and other states. Walther was really shaken by what happened with their original leader, Stefan, and he's the man who sort of figured out and picked up the pieces when it was all over. Can we still be church? If we ended up having to depose our so-called bishop because of moral failings. All right. Now, let's add a little bit of information here for maybe people who may be new to all of this. C.F.W. Walther, all right, wrote, well, he, he wrote the book in some ways. He wrote the book on the proper distinction between law and gospel. There's a larger version of the book. I don't know the original name of the larger version, but there is a summary version called God's No and God's Yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel, C.F.W. Walther. Now, in this book, you are given a number of theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel. In fact, I will count them out for you. One, two, three, four, five, 
6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. CFW Walther gave us 25 theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Now, if you look up our series on the Sermons 2.0 app and the Church One app and you go down, you should see something like law and gospel PDF. There's a PDF file where we reworded and kind of restated CFW Walther's um, theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel, because we were doing everything in our power to try to get this information and put it into people's hands. So please check that out. But he wrote the book. You should, if you can find a copy of the book, God's No and God's Yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel. I have the book right here. I have the book right here in my hands. And Everyone should have, I mean, I think everyone should have the book. Do I agree with everything in it? No. Do I believe it's a book everyone should read? Absolutely. I think it should be in every church, every church library, in the hands of every, if I had the, if I had the ability, I would buy, if I had the money, I'd buy a thousand copies and I would just start, I would just give them away. Like if I had the, had the ability because everyone should struggle with it. Now, some of these theses are very hard to understand and they're a little complicated. The larger work by C.F.W. Uh, Walther, like I think is, I don't even remember how many hundreds of pages. So it goes in far more detail if you really, really want to commit yourself to understanding about it. But I think, I mean, I cannot tell you the average Christian going to the average church, they don't even are, are aware of this. They, they, they are being taught a, a, a way of thinking that obliterates the proper distinction between law and gospel. So I think this is so very important, right? Now, from a historical perspective, I think it's very telling that really the the CFW Walther really beginning to, to kind of formulate and work on his thesis on a proper distinction between law and gospel arose out of they had to basically get rid of their bishop because of moral failure. I think when the reality of sin, this is so important. I believe when the reality of sin in the church, like looking at it for 2000 years of church history, seeing failure, failure, sin, sin, sin. Now, now the average Christian, here's how they handle it. When they see failure and sin in the church, they say, well, they weren't really believers. They weren't really believers. We always want to throw everyone out of the kingdom. Anything that makes Christianity look bad, we'll just say, well, they probably weren't saved. They probably weren't saved. We just want to throw everyone out, right? That's, that's, that's the like ace up the sleeve for Christians, right? But if we're honest, there is failure within the church continually there is sin and sin and sin. And sometimes we're not ready to face that reality until it hits so close to home. It's someone you know loves God, but they you see their sin, you see their failure, and you're like, what happened? And then you see it in yourself. And once the reality of sin becomes painfully obvious to you, when you finally see yourself as you truly are, you see the depravity inside of you. You see the lust, the covetousness, the hatred, the anger, the deceit. You see, when you truly get a glimpse of still what's inside of you after 10 years, 15 years of being saved, when you finally see it, 
then I think you you your only hope is a proper distinction between law and gospel. I think it will drive you. It will either drive you out of Christianity because you'll believe Christianity is a failure and it doesn't work, or it will drive you to a proper distinction between law and gospel. It is historically significant and fascinating that this really arose after a massive, basically, scandal. And they were like, what do we do? Can we still be a church? We just had massive failure. Well, guess what? Even though you didn't have massive failure, you had continual failure because everyone in that church had been breaking God's law continually, just like everyone in your church, my church, everyone in your house, my house, everyone, we're all breaking God's law continually. All right, let, let's see where they go with this. It, it, is it still possible that we're, we are church? He really wrestled with this question through the writings of Luther, of course, but above all, turning himself to the sacred scriptures. And there he found an answer that he thought held, and he taught it so effectively that his view kind of won the day, and he became the giant among these early Missouri Synod people. He thus was the first president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and he was the first editor of the uh, magazine that becomes the Lutheran Witness, Lera Unvera. He was the uh, president and a professor at Concordia Seminary, sort of the founder of Concordia Seminary, the so-called Log Cabin Seminary. He also was instrumental in trying to reach out across the board to other Lutherans here in the United States and trying to gather in together all the people who held that the sacred scriptures were indeed an infallible guide to doctrine and life and to gather them together under a quia subscription to the Lutheran confessions, agreeing with the Lutheran confessions, that is, because they agree with the word of God, not simply so many were doing at the time insofar as they agree with the word of God. So he was just a master teacher. Oh, he, he, he also was, was pastor of, uh, of this large conglomeration of congregations in St. Louis. At the same time, all this is going on. He actually, I think there were five of them in that, uh, that, that Gemeinde. I think that's right. And he, his ability to do all of this stuff, I think about how did he do it without the internet? I mean, or, you know, without modern transportation, this guy literally goes around gathering Lutherans into the churches and he's providing for faithful Lutheran pastors across the eastern half of the United States. And as the thing continues to expand, he starts sending pastors out beyond the Mississippi and and out into the Western territories. It just is a fascinating history of a man who is very, very energetic, who was plagued with bouts of depression and feeling very helpless, and who at the same time, well, the lectures were getting ready to study, uh, the theses from the lectures were getting ready to study, they were all done right, I think, after he had just lost his wife. So he loses his wife, and he's got lonely evenings. He decides to devote the Friday evenings of the week to actually giving these series of lectures to his students in the hope of, as he says, making them really, truly practical theologians. And this thing really stamped that early generation of Missouri Senate preachers in a remarkable way. And frankly, it's continued to stamp every generation that's read the theses. You know, they, they are just really eye-opening and very, very helpful. He was a smart cookie. Sometimes, sometimes people diss him as what they call a citation theologian, because he likes to quote earlier theologians, but he's very much in tune with the dogmatic tradition of the Lutheran Church. 
but his big concern is to be submissive to the sacred scriptures. A lot of good history there. Fascinating to me because I was a Missouri Synod Lutheran. I want. Uh, I wanted to go to Concordia Seminary. I really wanted to go there. I wanted to become a Lutheran pastor. So, and it was in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, is where I first heard the proper distinction between law and gospel articulated and explained. And I didn't quite quite catch it catch on at the time. I was a teenager and I was still learning theology. But I that that was a that was a, a, a it's one of those things that I, I look back and I'm like, how did I not get it? Well, because I was, you know, I became a Christian. You just got to remember my Christianity. I became a Christian right really at the time when what was dominating Christianity was the gospel according to Jesus by John MacArthur, Lordship Salvation. That's how I, I thought that was Christianity. So if I hear something a little different, like proper distinction between law and gospel and more of a Lutheran approach to theology and hermeneutics, it sounded foreign to me because I thought Christianity was more of a lordship understanding. I thought that was the only understanding. I didn't know. I didn't know there was even there'd ever even been a debate about it because you know that that I became a Christian really at that time and my early theological training. I've said before, MacArthur was a major you know one who discipled me in, in many aspects, right? So um, that that's where I and so I didn't quite catch on. And I, and I did not really quite get a proper understanding of long gospel. One of the major things that opened my eyes, I've told so many times, is when I got tired of hearing people say things, things about Catholicism that I knew wasn't true. I'm like, you know what? I may be a Baptist pastor, but I'm going to go to, I'm going to enroll in a Catholic university and pursue a degree in Catholic theology so that when I talk about uh, Catholicism, I can do so with some level of you know knowledge and not ignorance. And that's when I really kind of got confronted with, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There, there, this, this isn't. Wait, we too many, too many times evangelicalism. They sound more like Catholics than they do Protestants. And then, and then I, you know, I started learning about law, gospel, and then I started kind of realizing. Wait, there's, there's this proper distinction of law and gospel that I had forgotten. Let me go back to that Lutheran perspective, and then things theologically, I think, started making more sense. But again, the, the name is C. F. W. Walther, and and again, he he depress depression discouragement. I'm telling you, the, the, the more I think you can become very depressed and discouraged if you try to live your life from a law-based Christianity. Because if you're even remotely honest with yourself, you're going to see failure and sin. Failure. Because we cannot keep the law. We cannot. We never will be able to. The law demands a perfection that is personal, that is perfect, that is entire, that is exact, that is perpetual, that is internal, that is external. You are in a perpetual state of sin in some way, shape, or form. For whatever victory you want to pat yourself on the back about, you're still in sin. Your only hope is not law. It's the gospel which says that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. And you're saved not because of an infused righteousness, but an imputed righteousness. And then when you understand that the Bible has this clear distinction of law passages and gospel passages, then everything seems to come to starts making sense. I cannot tell you enough. Get the book, God's No and God's Yes, the proper distinction uh, between law and gospel. Look up our PDF of our, our, our rewording of the 25 Theses by C.F.W. Walter. Learn these theses. Understand them. Listen to our almost 100 hours of teaching on this series. And 
And then, well, then you can listen to our long gospel redo as we try to kind of relaunch this series and try to uh, take it in a hopefully a powerful direction. But let's keep going. Let's see where he's got. There's a little background about C.F.W. Walther. Uh, most pe- most evangelicals never heard of C.F.W. Walther, probably never even read one of his books. But here's a good opportunity to learn, uh, learn a little church history and learn about this very important person in the world of theology. Even though we wouldn't agree, I wouldn't agree with him on many, on lots of things. This idea of long gospel is so critical. He didn't come up with this idea of approaching God's word in order to properly distinguish, and I want to talk about that word distinguish in, in a minute, between long gospel. He got mm-hmm. it from the Lutheran confessions, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, and the Lutheran confessions, of course, got it from Luther and Melanchthon, both of whom uh, it was a very important light for them. You get the proper distinction between law and gospel when you come to the scriptures and don't try to trim down what they say, either in the when they lay something upon you, like when Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Your full blast law, when you don't say, well, he means, you know, you kind of got to try hard and, and do your best. That's not what it said. It said you have to be as perfect as the heavenly father is perfect. That's what Jesus said. Oh, that is so true. And to be fair, my first exposure to the proper distinction between law and gospel was not C.F.W. Walther. It was Melanchthon and Luther, right? That's where I first started hearing it was studying Luther and Melanchthon. All right. So Walther came later, later. And then I, then I bought the book a long time ago. But I'll be honest, first time I read the book, it's still the light did not come on. It took a lot to, to really get the light to come on, but he just really, he just really clearly gave you the key to turning the light on. When you're reading your Bible and you see passages of law, don't water them down. When it says be perfect, Jesus is demanding absolute perfection. And you have to admit, I can never do that. When the Bible says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. You see, the, the evangelical mind basically reads those passages and go, I can do it. And then we somehow minimize it. We'll say, I can, but then we'll say, well, we won't really do it perfectly. But I mean, as long as you're trying, as long as it's not perfection, it's direction. Oh, that's the evangelicals love that. Well, I mean, I know the scripture seems to demand perfection, but as long as it's the direction is what matters. No, Jesus doesn't say go in the right direction. He demands perfection. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. That's not like try to. He's demanding perfection. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't just try to. Do it perfectly. Be ye holy as God is holy. Those are absolute demands. Whenever you read the demands of the law, don't water them down. Don't minimize them. Say, that is what God demands. And if you're even remotely honest with who you are externally and internally, you'll be immediately confronted with, I can't do that. And then that's like, the light should come on. You can't. So then what's the answer? Christ did. And by faith, Christ's passive and active obedience is accredited to your account. So in Christ, you fulfill all of that. In practice, you never have and you never will. Many people feel that's a powerless, that's a powerless Christianity. 
No, it's a reality-based Christianity because you cannot keep the law. That's why Christ came to die. That's why we are saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. That's what the entire Protestant Reformation was about. The evangelical world speaks of, of, of salvation as if you're infused with righteousness. No, it's imputed, meaning you are still a sinner, but you are declared to be a perfect, holy, righteous saint, even though you're not. Hey, that, hey, the, the, that's so well said. Just when you see the law, don't water it down. Just say, no, it demands this absolute perfection. And we always try to do a workaround. I know. I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, of course, no one's going to do it. No, no, there's no walk around, work around. There's no watering it down. It's your to be confronted and go, oh, woe is me. I'm undone. And when you say, woe is me, I am undone. Every time you see the law, then finally the law is doing its proper work because the law is not for you to go. I can do it. It's to both. I cannot. And it's to drive you to the only answer, which is Christ did. See, the Sermon on the Mount is so misunderstood and mis and not preached correctly by churches all across the United States of America. That's all law. By the time you're done with the Sermon on the Mount, you shouldn't be like, okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do it. That's how it's always preached. Okay, to this week, do this, do this, do this. You should, by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you should be, that's it. I'm done. I can't do any of it. Nobody is saved. Everyone's going to hell. And finally, the only one who can keep the Sermon on the Mount is the one who preached it. That's how come within the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It should drive you to then go, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Well, not un- It doesn't make any sense if you- unless you interpret it through a proper distinction between law and gospel. So you got to let that law stand in its full sternness, its full starkness. And similarly, when people hear the astonishing claims of the gospel, the, the promises of the gospel, that your sins are freely forgiven you for Christ's sake without any merit or worthiness on your own part, You've really got to let that stand as it is. And the art of the law and gospel, which CFW Walter is at pains to explain throughout this entire series of theses, is to let each one do its own work, its own proper work, without bending it toward the other. Or another way to put it, there is no bridge by which you get from law to gospel. There is no bridge. They must both be proclaimed in their fullness without resolving their tension. And that is exactly what he's concerned to do here. That is awesome. You preach the law, no bending it, no modifying it, and it's full sternness. And then when you preach the gospel, you preach it and it's full sweetness and it's full graciousness. You don't go, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, I mean, I mean, God will forgive you, but if you don't do this and this and this, then you probably were never forget. No, 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 no. You believe in Christ, you are forgiven. Your sins are removed as far as the East is from the West. They have been paid for. They are gone. You are declared by faith alone, apart from anything you may ever do, you are declared perfectly righteous, perfectly holy because of what Christ did by an imputed righteousness.
And I stress imputed righteousness all the time now because I hear sermons that constantly speak of salvation almost as if it's an infused righteousness. It's about the transformation that will supposedly happen. The transformation is your position and practice. You're still a sinner with a sinful nature who's never going to obey the law anywhere close to what is demanded by it. You cannot modify the law and you don't water down the gospel both stand and it's the law and its sternness its severity its harshness its its absolute demands and then the gospel stands perfectly and its sweetness its mercy its grace its its forgiveness its its mercy it's 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 amazing and, and, and the gospel will never become amazing until you truly understand how messed up you are under the law. I think before we get into the theses themselves, we've had our context here, but many have maybe misunderstood or put too fine a point on Walther's point here. And that is, they've said, this is now the way you actually write a sermon. I think what Walter was talking about was, this is how you approach the scriptures. Yes. And it has application toward preaching. Yes. But some have said, well, this means that, to put it very crudely, this means half your sermon needs to be law and half your sermon needs to be gospel. And that's basically his point. And with that, you have this idea then that a sermon absolutely must end on what they call a gospel note, right? It cannot end on a law without violating what Walter does. Well, of course, what's so fun is that neither Luther nor Walter actually preach that way. So the way to check out that you're actually reading Walter's theses correctly is to be checking out his sermons. And we have a volume that is just excerpted. It's nothing but excerpts of Walter's sermons so basically the apostles for the church here, they are wonderfully translated for us by Gerhard Grabenhofer, and it's called God Grant It. I'm proposing that as we actually work our way through the theses, we check out against Walther's preaching how we're hearing what he's saying. And that will help us not fall off into a an idealized form of the thesis that does not comport with what Walter himself actually practiced. That would be contrary to his intent. So, okay, this is very, very important because I, I don't like, and lots of systems of theology, they tell you there's a certain way to preach, right? Hey, you got to cover this. You got to cover that. And, I, and I, I hate that. I hate when a system is placed on your preaching. I cannot stand that, right? So yes, within Lutheranism, in fact, I was taught this, that your sermon should be 50% law and 50% gospel. You preach the sternness of the law, then you offer the sweetness of the gospel. And if you don't do that, that's really not good preaching. I can't stand that because that places a a preconceived system upon the text. When it comes to preaching, here's what you do. You preach the text. Okay. What a novel idea. If it's law, you preach the law. Right now, you may mention the gospel here or there. You may mention hope here and there, but just focus on the text. If it's gospel, the text, and you'll always get people going, well, where was this? And where was this? Was it in the text? 
Show me where it was in the text. If it's in the text, then it's my job to preach it. If it's not in the text, I may mention, I may add, but I, my job is to stay on the text. Just preach the text, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. That's what you have to do. Your job, when you stand behind the pulpit, in my estimation, my job when standing behind the pulpit, I don't even, I, I hate the word sermons, is not to preach a sermon. It's to take the people it's to take the text and the people and bring them together so that they have a meeting. They have a meeting. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, meet the text. Here's the text. Text, meet the people. Now, we're going to come together and we're going we're gonna to work together to figure out what the text is actually trying to say. We're going to struggle. We're going to ask questions. We're going to be honest about the difficulties. We're going to be honest about the philosophical part. Hey, bring the two together and let them meet. A sermon is almost like a, a prepackaged speech, right? No, I, I hate that. Um, okay, uh, someone just said, uh, that's interesting. I remember thinking he was saying to put both concepts into sermons, regardless of the text, when working through the series before. Yeah, that, and, and in many cases, it does seem to show up in his theses almost like that. He does seem to come across that way. Now, according to them, it doesn't show up in his preaching. Now, to be fair, I only know uh, C.F.W. Walther from his uh, writings on law and gospel. I've never read one of his sermons. So I need to find this book they're referring to about uh, his excerpts from his sermons. But see, even an excerpt from his sermon wouldn't really be fair. You would need the whole sermon. But but yes, it is very common in Lutheran circles, the conservative ones, or at least the one I was in at, at back at the time when I was a Lutheran, that yes, your sermon, you give law, you give God. Whatever the text is, law and gospel must be there. And you've heard me say in the series that I reject that. Again, I think I don't even like the way sermons work because it's like, it's all about, you got to have your introduction and then you got to have, you know, you got to do this. You got to have your points and you got to have your conclusion. And I just like, ladies and gentlemen, today we're in Jeremiah. Uh, Everyone meet Jeremiah chapter 11, right? Jeremiah chapter, people meet Jeremiah 11, Jeremiah 11 meet the people. All right, guys, our job is to figure out Jeremiah 11. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to struggle through it. We're going to ask questions. We're going to engage. We may look things up. Like I'm, I'm going to throw, I throw out every rule of preaching. Like I just think the entire sermon structure, I, I, I hate to say this. There's the, 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 I think it's the antiquated, outdated sermon structure needs to be taken out back and put down. I just do. I'm just tired of the, and you say, well, how dare you say that? We've preached a billion sermons. A billion sermons have been preached. And in everything you look at, people are still biblically illiterate. They're still feel like, and you say, well, because it's bad preaching. I think it's the, it's the, it's just like a, it's just like it's supposed to be a presentation. You got to get that introduction. You got to get your points in and you got to wrap it up with a good conclusion. It's just a structure. I don't think the text always follow those structures. It's like, guys, hey, this is what we got to work on today. You ready? And then you just, you bring the people in. Like we're all together. We're all working on this. We're all struggling with it. We acknowledge this doesn't make any sense. And what about this? And how about this? Whoa, this raised all kinds of questions. And we struggle through it. Now, most people hate the way I do things. They want the sermon structure. I just think... 99, 99.9% of all churches follow the sermon structure. Let, let them have the sermon structure. Can't there be, you know, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0
who say, we're not going to follow the sermon structure. But I think too many times you impose an idea on how a sermon is supposed to be preached and that that's imposed upon the text. When it comes to law and gospel, if there's law in the passage, you preach it, you don't water it down, you drive it home, and people may feel broken, they may feel helpless, they may feel condemned. You say, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't want them to leave that way. If the text wants them to leave that way, that's how they leave. And you say, well, one is just gospel. Well, wait a minute. You're going you're gonna to make them think that you're an antinomian. You're gonna th- I'm going to preach what the text says. Hopefully, they'll come back more than just for one sermon. You can't try to address every little contingency and every issue in every sermon. You just can't. You got to preach what's in front of you. All right. So, all right. Let's continue. You're saying if we want to know what kind of preaching Walther's talking about here, let's go see what Walther actually preached. Exactly. Exactly. And we're going to see, he really did have this astonishing ability to refuse to resolve tension between law and gospel. His his law will just be standing there and left by itself. There it is. And then his gospel passages will be very full of comfort and he will not in any way try to bend them to the law. It's really an impressive feat and uh, it's a challenge for all of us. I love that. You know, it's not your job to relieve the tension between law and gospel. You don't have to relieve the tension. Here's the law. Here's the gospel. That's that's kind of fascinating. The first thesis, and I'll read it here, makes the basic distinction. That's what I want to take up. But the thesis itself says, the doctrinal contents of the entire Holy Scriptures, both of the Old and the New Testaments, are made up of two doctrines differing fundamentally from each other, that is, the law and the gospel. What's important to notice here? Several things. He's going to deal with, when he starts the lecture on this particular thesis, he starts by trying to clarify, to head off some of the misunderstandings. So he says, you know, my aim is to show you how easy it is to work a great damage on your hearers by confounding, that is, mixing up law and gospel, spite of their fundamental differences, and thus to frustrate the aim of both doctrines. In other words, if you mix law and gospel together, what you end up with, by the way, is law, and the way that it works is that it deprives the gospel of the comfort which it can bring to terrified consciences. So important. When you mix law and gospel, all you end up with is law and you devoid the gospel of any, you just strip it of any true comfort. And too many times in the evangelical and evangelicalism, even though they talk about the gospel and they say they preach the gospel, listen to the way it's all done when before it's all said and done, they have so merged law and gospel that the gospel is, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it's not the true gospel. It's something other a false gospel because you've stripped it of its power to comfort because all you've done is now make the gospel almost like a, it's all about your behavior and all, everything just always circles back to your behavior and your, what you do, not what Christ did. And if you stress too much about what Christ did, people are like, oh no, 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 no. You got to remember, we got to do this and this and that. And, it, uh, and you'll be accused of being an antinomian and you'll be accused of, of easy believism. And it's like, no, drawing a distinction between law and gospel 
maybe you should try to understand it. Okay, but I, I digress. Let's see where else they go. All right. And he's talking about thesis number one. Thesis number one is, again, the doctrinal contents of the entire Holy Scripture, both of the Old and the New Testament, are made up of two doctrines differing fundamentally from each other, the law and the gospel. And, and, and you can go back and listen to my coverage of thesis number one, because, man, there's so much to it. But let's see how they approach it. So he has to deal with some of the ways that they're different. He goes, hey, it's not this. It's not that the, the law is some sort of a human work and the gospel is a divine work. No, they are both divine words. They're both words from God, and both of them are contained in Holy Scripture. And this is not the way to, to, to distinguish them, he says. If you think, well, the gospel is necessary, but not really the law, as if the latter were a mere addition that you could get rid of, could dispense with. He says, no, you absolutely equally need both. Without the law and the gospel, nothing is going to be understood. Without the law, the gospel is taken for granted. Without the gospel, the law simply crushes and terrifies. And then he deals with what's probably one of the most common misconceptions when he says, oh, (laughs) Well, the law is the Old Testament and the gospel is the New Testament. He goes, no, you can you can find law in the New Testament and you can find gospel in the Old Testament. And he doesn't want you just regarding them that way as though the one is the Old Covenant and the other is the, 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 the New Testament. Nor do they, they differ, he says, even about their final aim, because what both the law and the gospel aim for is is the salvation of men. And he says you also cannot establish a difference by trying to say that they contradict each other. Each is distinct. You wanted to comment on that word, right? Each is distinct. It's separate from the other, but both are in the most perfect harmony with each other. So he lays down all these things that are getting it wrong at the beginning, And then he begins to move into the things that he sees as being the fundamental differences, the distinctions between the law and the gospel. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're beginning a series with him on CFW Walther's Law and Gospel Theses. He's host of the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. And And there they go to commercial. And so we'll stop our episode here. And then when we start up Law and Gospel Redo Part 2, we'll pick it up where this conversation is. Now, they are dealing with thesis number one on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Again, C.F.W. Walther, find the book, God's No and God's Yes. You can go listen to my entire teaching on thesis number one. I took the thesis apart completely. We read every word here in God's no and God's yes. We took it apart. You need both law and gospel. You have to have both, but they must be distinguished. You must see the proper distinction between them. If you merge them, the gospel is the thing that loses and law will dominate. And if law dominates, then all it becomes is a works-based system about performance, uh, behavioral modification, nothing than, than morality, 
and the gospel is lost. And many people want a Christianity that really is nothing more than a moral system and, and nothing more than morality about a bunch of do's and don'ts. And they don't really want a gospel that's based off an imputed righteousness. They want one based off an infused righteousness. And then they want to judge everyone's salvation, which is based off an imputed righteousness by some kind of practical righteousness, but you're not saved by the practical, you're saved by the imputed and the imputed doesn't produce. Okay, well, we could go on and on and on and on. You got to understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. I cannot even begin to tell you how important this series is. Now, they just got us, they got us a little bit of historical background, a little bit of work. I try to explain a little bit here. Um, but again, I mean, some of this, I mean, we're, we're redoing this. We're kind of right back at the beginning, but it's right there in the series. Go back to the beginning, October 9th, 2022, my part one where I introduced the series. And, and you can just listen to me work through. I think we made it all the way up to like thesis. I think we were up to like thesis 12, thesis 13. We were, we made it really, really far. And then that's when we jumped the shark. But now we're going to put it back together. So there you go. CF, CFW, I sometimes say Walter. It's Walther, but I always want to say Walter. It's Walther. Um, so if I, if I said it wrong in the earlier episodes, you know, that, I, shocker, I, I made another mistake, right? So, but please, please understand the significance of this. Right. Grab the PDF where we give you all 25 theses, all of them. It's a long gospel PDF. It's right there, Church One app. If you download the Church One app, just look for Theology Central. Make make it our app. You'll get notified every time we're live. We're live all the time, and you'll see all of our content. Look for the series on Understanding Long Gospel. Sermons 2.0 app. Follow us. You know, uh, as as one of your uh, broadcast, as one of your you know chosen broadcasts, will be in your feed all the time because we're always adding new content. And, uh, and, uh, hopefully, hopefully we using, uh, issues ETC, we can now look up issues ETC, uh, look up their, their, their podcast and subscribe to it. And then look through their archive of, uh, proper distinction between law and gospel. It's been going on since May, I think through up to episode eight, part eight, part nine. And, uh, you can, you can listen ahead if you want, and then you can hear my, uh, critique analysis of it because I do, I do depart from CFW Walther in certain places. Because I feel there's times he bends the gospel, I think a little bit more. To, uh, he says we shouldn't bend it, but I feel he bends it sometimes towards a law-based understanding, which I thoroughly reject. All right. Um, I got the book right here in my hand. I carry this thing around with me. I've been carrying around CFW Walther's God, God's No and God's Yes book for a very long time. It's in my book bag. I used to carry it to work with me. I used to carry this thing with me all the time, trying to understand. It, it, for a lot of ways, it was a locked book to me. I didn't really understand it in a lot of ways because I had this other way of thinking about salvation that was very law, 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 behavior, 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 action, 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 you know, and... uh I, I, and almost an infused righteousness. And then when I, you know, when I started pursuing a degree in Catholic theology, I was like, wait a minute. I think I've basically, I've been more Catholic than Catholics. No, we're not saved by an infused, by an imputed. Okay, wait a minute. So then how do I understand law and gospel? How do I understand salvation? So, all right, there you have it. That concludes part one of our long gospel redo. We'll try to do part two tomorrow.
And then maybe Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, maybe we'll throw in a part three and then maybe we'll do a part four. But we're breaking these down into smaller sections. And I know you're like, you went 63 minutes, but you remember the intro was about 20 minutes trying to put everything back in context. So the next ones, we'll just jump right in and hopefully we'll start going through them really quick. If you have questions about law and gospel, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great evening. Think long, think deeply about reading your Bible in light of a proper distinction between law and gospel. It will truly be eye-opening and I believe critical to properly understanding law and gospel correctly. Thanks for listening. God bless.